Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. I think I was in high school when I first heard this story. Uh, in India, a very heavily populated nation, uh, there was a, a railroad station and um, there was a little boy there. Some of you know that there is a great poverty in some of the large cities. And so there was a little boy there that one of his parents had sent him to sell melons. He was about 10 years old. He was crippled, had crutches, and he was also blind. But he begged for people to buy his melons. Well, as people were waiting there in that very busy railway station, uh, as soon as a train pulled in, you can imagine people just rushed to get into the doors. And in doing so, they absolutely knocked over his melon stand, crushing a number of the melons and just leaving him uh, by himself pretty much after the train had left. Except for one businessman who watched this whole thing go down and who was in a real hurry himself. But when he saw all this, he made a last-minute decision not to get on that train. And he bent down, and he began to start helping the boy pick up the melons, noticing that many of them were damaged, that they'd never be able to be sold. And as he began to pick them up, uh, he just spoke to this boy who was crying, trying to figure out what he was going to tell his parents. And after they'd gotten the melons picked up, the man said, I'd like to give you money for the ones that you can't sell. And he did. And then he walked towards the, the place where he would get on the train when the next one came. And the little boy stopped him and he said, Mr. The business guy turned back around and he said, yeah. He said, are you Jesus? Are you Jesus? You know, it, it wouldn't it be amazing if more and more people mistook us for Jesus. And I want to talk to you today about being hospitable like Jesus. Because our text today is going to actually take place yet again in the home of someone where Jesus has been invited. And what I want you to see in this story is the irony Jesus has been invited into this guy's home, but he's not welcomed. In other words, we're going to see how not to be hospitable, and Jesus is going to teach us how he can be hospitable. So if you're following along the notes, here's what I hope you'll see, is that we've been talking about this for the last six months now, and we will continue. Brian just mentioned it, is that we're becoming age three disciples of Jesus, that's our hope, becoming before doing, becoming H3 disciples of Jesus, hungry, humble, and hospitable. Do you mind looking up at these banners? Again, I, I know you've seen these before if you've been around for a while, but would you mind reading it out loud with me just so we can remind ourselves, what's the target? What's the goal that God has for us here as a church family? Let's read it. We are fighting shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble and hospitable. This idea is that, look, we all can fall into lukewarm Christianity. Some of you go, Jeff, do you ever get away from hungry, humble, and hospitable in your life? 
almost every day. It's, it's the target. It's what God wants us to keep becoming. Doesn't mean we doesn't mean we live in that all the time. It's something that God's making us more like Jesus. But these are postures. These are heart approaches that are meant to be genuine, like Jesus. So if you mind opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And um, again, you're going to see that there's kind of like three little vignettes in this story as we look at Jesus in the home of a prominent Pharisee. And then we're going to talk about becoming hospitable with Jesus. But when we talk about hospitable, we talked about this back when we renewed our vision in August or September. This is the one that's probably the trickiest of the three for us to take hold of. Because when we think of hospitable or hospitality, we go, now, does that mean I have to have people in my house all the time or my apartment? Does that mean that I got to like start hanging out with a lot more strangers or strange people? Does that mean I have to get better at entertaining? And friends, I hope that you'll see that hospitable is more about an open heart than an open home. Because if our hearts are open, then our homes can be open. But if we open our homes and we don't open our hearts, then it's just, it's posturing in the wrong way. But the kind of heart postures that Jesus had was because it came from the heart. So that's what we're talking about. So what is hospitable? Let me just give you a definition. Uh, It means to be merciful, caring, thoughtful, and kind. To be merciful, caring, thoughtful, and kind. And uh, let me just say this to you. You may want to write this in your notes. It's just, again, no extra charge. October 2nd, Last year, if you want to go to the website and look at the archives, I did a whole message on what it means to be hospitable in case you're interested in reviewing that or hearing it for the first time. You may find it helpful if you're interested in growing in this particular posture with Jesus. But uh, again, when he talked about it that day, that really when when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, that's really what this heart is, a merciful heart that says, God's been merciful to me. And now I want to be merciful to other people. And I want to treat them with the kind of caring and compassion and kindness that God first treated me, though I didn't deserve it. And so I want to pass that on. We also talked about the fact that to be hospitable is going to mean getting intentional. You're not going to drift into being more hospitable. You're going to have to initiate, which many of us find difficult. We want somebody else to initiate first. But we also talked about how we need to initiate with healthy boundaries. Friends, I'm not talking about being hospitable necessarily to people that are abusive. I'm not talking about being, uh, you know, hospitable without thought when we're in a dangerous situation. I'm just simply saying that hospitable is a kind of way of looking at people like Jesus does. And it means to acknowledge God and acknowledge people with him. And so this is the kind of heart, this warm-heartedness that he wants to instill in us, and he wants us to be attentive when we're walking through life. So as we talk about this, again, let me just, here's this simple sentence that I want to serve up today, if you're following along. And that's the bad news is, is that we can't be hospitable like Jesus. I can't be hospitable like Jesus until I'm correctable and directable with Jesus. There's a whole bunch of ubbles. Did you notice that? Hospitable, correctable, directable are all related. That's what we're going to see in this text today. And that's the the bad news is, is that in ourselves, we're not that hospitable. Some of us may say, well, I am. But I I wonder to yourself, like, do you ever have times when you're going, I don't want to be hospitable? 
because I want to just, and we're going to see some of the ways that the religious people of Jesus' day struggled to be hospitable and what they struggle with. So let me just pray, and then we're going to look at this text, and we're going to read through the different sections together. God, I ask that you'll use this time to train us in this life that's worth living with you. And I pray that as we prepare for communion, that we'll renew our closeness with you today. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I'll start off uh, with uh, um, verse one in just a second, but here's what I want you to see while we're reading these passages. You notice I used the word correction. That idea of being correctable means to respond to correction. When you hear the word correction, does it stir up in you negative things? The longer I live, the more I love the word correction. The reason why is because it has a positive taste to it. Um, If you're following along, here's the definition that I serve to you. Point out, not this way, but this way for our good. Real correction, it, it may sting at first, but it's always, you know, it may hurt at first, but it's never meant to harm us, but it's meant to help us. It's meant to be for our good in the long run. And so as a parent, I remember many times I had to say to my kids, uh, let's not do this. Let's do this. And sometimes they would go, I want to do this. So they, uh, like, for instance, if they were trying to touch a stove, I'd go, well, it's going to be exciting, but it won't be helpful. So let's not do this. Let's do this. And in a lot of ways, that's really what the Lord comes to us regularly and says, not this way, but this way. Why? Well, I don't understand, Lord. You will. It's for your good. And so Jesus comes into this environment that's not real welcoming. And some people, if they don't listen to this properly, they think that Jesus is just rebuking. But Jesus is correcting. Now, did you know that the book of Proverbs says that the way people respond to correction determines whether or not they're foolish or wise? Here's a couple verses from Proverbs 15. First, I think we have verse 12 says this, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. Verse 31 in Proverbs 15, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Some of you know that if you reset a broken bone and you set it right, that actually if it heals in a correct way, it can be twice as strong. That there's something about our vision That if our vision gets corrected, we go from seeing things the wrong way or not well enough to seeing them well, seeing them better. So Jesus wants to bring this correction. But again, the tension is, what are the religious leaders going to do with his correction? And the other question as we read this text is, what am I going to do with his correction when it comes my way? So here we go. Verse 1 through 6, I want you just to see the first vignette has to do with a suffering man that's at that home that Jesus is in. The next vignette's going to be about places of honor, and the third vignette's going to be about guest lists. So let's talk about the suffering man. When we get to verse 5, would you be ready to read with me out loud from that first gray box? Here we go. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Some of your versions may say dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, let me just give some background. He's in the home of a prominent Pharisee. I know that most of you do not talk to your friends at school and work about Pharisees. So what is a Pharisee? 
A Pharisee was the expert interpreter of the Old Testament law in Jesus' day. They were most, many of them were teachers. They also decided cases of religious law in those days. And they were called Pharisees, which literally means one who is separated. Separated from what? Contamination, impure following of Jesus. They were hardcore followers of God. And so what happened is, is that over time, some of them became more and more self-righteous about their set-apartness. Some of them became superior and looked down at people, and they stopped seeing God the way that God saw people, and it got them into a lot of trouble. There were some Pharisees that were not like this, but there were a number that were. And so Jesus is in the home of a prominent Pharisee, and one of the things that we see here is that he's being carefully watched. Why? Because he had this bad habit of not handling the Sabbath the way they thought he should. He was in man-made rules. He wasn't breaking God's version of the Sabbath. He's breaking man-made rules. And also he had this terrible habit of healing people on the Sabbath. This is going to be like the third or fourth time we're going to read about in Luke's gospel. So they, most people believe that the reason why this guy that has abnormal swelling of his body is there is one of two reasons. In those days, uh, meals would be in open courtyards. And if a well-known rabbi was there, people were allowed, even that weren't invited, to stand on the perimeter or the edges and listen. Okay? So either he walked in like that, going, man, abnormal swelling. I wonder if Jesus would consider me. Or, and most people believe this is what happened, he's planted there as a test because they want to bring Jesus down. They're more interested in being right than relating rightly. And so as they stand there, he's being watched. And so Jesus just says, let's just get to it. I've asked you this before. I'm going to ask you again. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Okay. And so uh, it says, but they remained silent. Verse four. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Why did he send him on his way? He probably wasn't invited. He sent him on his way. Now let's read verse five together out loud. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And verse six says, and they had nothing to say. Now, Jesus just goes right to the heart of things with questions. Has Jesus ever asked you a question? <laughs> Jesus has a way of asking questions that just exposes my true motives. He has a way of going right to the heart of the matter. He can see all the way to the back of my sweater. And so Jesus asks these two questions, and they don't want to talk about it. Why? Because they're on the horns of a dilemma. But if you're following along, here's what I want you to see about this suffering man. The guest use, but don't care for this man. The guest use, but don't care for this man. Jesus basically goes, look, you're ticked at me because I'm healing this guy. And I want to just ask you, think about how you handle the Sabbath. If one of your kids falls in an open well, I once walked, by the way, I once, there was a manhole cover missing on our college campus and I, I fell right through the hole. I kind of, I looked around to see if anybody else saw me. It's kind of embarrassing, but if, if that happened, you'd want someone to help you out. And he says, if it was one of your kids or one of your animals, you wouldn't hesitate. You wouldn't say, heal him tomorrow. But that's what you're doing to me. And he said, you'd pull them out and, and they, 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 they don't want to talk about it, see? And why? Because the reason they planted this guy there is because they're more interested in being right than they are loving. And it's not wrong to be right. 
But it is when we make being right more important than being loving every time we get away, our hearts just change. And that's what was happening to them. And Jesus goes to the heart of the matter with them. I don't know about you, but if you were to describe my life before Christ, the word I would use, and my family would probably tell you, the people that knew me, I use people more often than not. If a kid had a really good toy in our neighborhood, I found a way to manipulate it out of him. I use people, uh, and again, even since Christ, if I don't let Christ guide me and direct me, I can still, and that's one of the things I want, I don't want to use people anymore. But that's one of the things that can happen. Now, notice this if you're following along. Did I already say this part? Jesus searches their hearts with two questions and cares for the man. Did I do that part yet? You know, these three services, sometimes I'm getting elderly. Jesus searches their hearts with two questions and cares for the man. That's how Jesus responds. That's how he wants them to respond, is care for this guy. Don't use him. Don't you see right here? Does it bother you at all that he's going through what could be possible beginnings of organ failure? That's why his body's suffering and puffing up like this? Come on. So that's the first one. He goes, that's not the way to be hospitable. Let me show you how to be hospitable. Care for this guy. Second is the places of honor. Let me read verses 7 through 11. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the seat, the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you're following along in these places of honor, the guests pick these with no consideration for others. That's what's going on. Jesus noticed that the guests are picking these with no consideration for others. I, I don't know about you. I like a good seat. I like to be able to pick my seat. I like, if possible, to be close if it's an important thing or to be able to sit where I want to sit. And so what's going on is these guys are going, hey, I'm getting the seat I want. And that's, that's what they're thinking about. And the problem is, there's nothing wrong if that kind of seat is open to you. But the problem is, is that if I make that my main ambition, I run past all kinds of other people that may also want that seat. And I may get caught up with seats more than people. So Jesus, if you're following along, says, not that way, this way. Jesus says, be okay with the lowest place and you'll be exalted. Be okay with the lowest place and you'll be exalted. Jesus said, I was okay with the lowest place. And for me to take the lowest place was a much bigger drop than it was for you. For me to leave the glories of heaven and step down and become a human being, and then to become a servant, and then to give my life as a ransom for many. Down, 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 to the lowest place our Savior stepped. And he said, I could do it because I was secure in my Father's love. And I want you to be secure in my acceptance and love for you so that now you can start thinking about people rather than just your place. 
Because if you get all caught up with place and position and posturing like that, that posture will never get you to the right heart posture. And so, oh man, he says, not this way, this way. And uh, some of us go, well, that sounds pretty good. Maybe I'll, that'll get me a lot more. People will think I'm amazing. But notice, here's, here's what Kent Hughes said. There is more here than social wisdom. Our Lord was not concerned that his hearers merely learned to take the lower seat so they would avoid embarrassment and then achieve high human honor when they were ushered from the lowest seat to the highest. Neither was he teaching the Pharisees and scribes to put on a staged humility so they would be greatly honored above their peers. Jesus hated the pride that pretends to be humble. Rather, he was imparting an eternal spiritual principle that all will be evident in the end when everything is made right. He's saying, look, from your heart now, say, I'm okay with a little place. You can have it. What would happen if we became more like that? And I don't know about you, but when I'm driving, I want to be in first place. I want to be ahead of other people. I don't want to be behind people. When I'm in situations, it's tough for me not to do that. So he says, not this way, Jeff, this way. The question is, am I correctable and directable in those moments? Not always, but I can be if I'm willing. The last vignette is this, is the guest list. The guest list, would you be willing to read verse 13 and 14 after I read verse 12? Let's look at this one. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. Now would you read verse 13 and 14 with me? But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And again, if you're following along, Jesus says, look, whenever you're going to do something socially, have a party or get together, you know, Super Bowl time or whatever, when you're thinking about who you're going to include at your lunch table at school or, you know, having people over, don't invite, if you're following along, only those who can invite you back. Don't invite only those who can invite you back. The, um, some people notice the hyperbole here. Jesus says, don't invite your family. So they hear Jesus going, I'm not supposed to like my family. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the spirit of it is don't invite only. If you stop there, even people, I mean, even crooks love those who love them. There's a, there's a partiality or a favoritism. You got to be careful. Let your heart get stretched bigger than that. Do you care for the people God cares for? And so if you're following along, he says, not that way, but this way. Invite those who can't pay you back and you'll be blessed and repaid. Invite those who can't pay you back. You'll be blessed and repaid. Now notice again, Jesus says here, look, I'm talking to you about ways that in the end, God will exalt you. God will bless you. God will repay you. But if people here saying, well, I want to be blessed. I want to be exalted. I want to be repaid. So I'm doing this. There's nothing totally wrong with that except the fact if I make that my main goal, to be exalted, blessed, and repaid. Am I not still kind of using people? Is it not still about me? But if that's the secondary thing that happens, 
God's not upset by that. He wants, he was looking for motives here, friends. So how many of us have said, um, I I remember one time someone asked me to go visit uh, an out of town friend of theirs at the hospital uh, here in town. And I remember my attitude was, not a huge want to. So, but I went and I kind of did it out of duty and I got there and immediately I realized what a jerk I was. This person was incredible to know, but also I just realized if I went in that spirit, I'm still not learning what Jesus wanted to learn. Anyway, as I walked away, I remember thinking to myself, now I, I got around eventually to the heart to bless that person, but who blessed who? How many times does that happen? That happens more often than not, but is that the goal? No, but it happens more times than not. And so Jesus is saying, look, I want you to care about the least of these because however you care about the least of these, you care for me. And Jesus announced his whole ministry in Luke 4, 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who, friends? Poor. Years ago, my dad said to me, Jeff, I want to just mentor you and tell you what Cherry Hills is about. Here's what I've learned. This church family has a tangible concern for the hurting. And if you forget that or you don't help the church act on that, you will miss the heart of a lot of people in this church. And so he said, never, ever get to the place, no matter what God does at Cherry Hills, to forget about the poor or people outside our walls. Man, unbelievable. So thankful for that. So this is part of it. So for me personally, uh, the sin of partiality or favoritism or whatever. I can, obviously, I can't minister every person, but I just regularly try and say, are there any people that may have gone unnoticed in the church that I haven't paid attention to, God? Is there anybody that I've forgotten in a while that you want me to remember? Is there, is there a side of me that's trying to build up my own comfort or reputation at the expense of people you care about? And so that's just a good reminder to me to try and make sure I care about all people, no matter what, and see people as people. But here's the thing I want to talk to you about is how do we become, how do we become hospitable with Jesus? Well, you know how many ubbles we've already had? Can I give you a couple more ubbles? If you think about hospitable, then know this, that many times the reason why we're not hospitable is because we think hospitable has to be biggable. Did you all hear me there? And what happens is then we don't do anything. But I want you to understand that many times hospitable is littable. So Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not, you will surely not miss a reward from God. God will not miss that. In due time, he, will, he, he cares about that. This is what he wants to bless and honor. So sometimes, it's like today, some of you, you may leave here, or sometime this week, you may eat in a restaurant. Do you know your server needs to know if you've met Jesus? And I'm not just talking about a tip, and I hope we're always people that are kind and generous-hearted to these people that make men, much of their living from tips. But I pray that we're kind and considerate, and thoughtful, and we care about them and see them as people and not just use them for what we need. We can practice this right away. And I just thank God for the way many of us are trying to be hospitable in our jobs. 
and hospitable in our schools and hospitable in our neighborhoods. I praise God for all the different things I hear about that and most of it I don't even know. But you know, sometimes hospitable also starts with the people closest to us who we just say, do I need to serve this family member in some way? And I'm taking them for granted. So what does a hospitable heart look like to both people we know and strangers? What if God began to grow that heart? So here's just several things. Let me just walk through this. What's becoming hospitable with Jesus look like personally? So here's a question that you can ask if you're interested in growing and being hospitable. Who are you inviting me to be kind to today, Lord? Who are you inviting me to be kind to today, Lord? In even the littlest, littleable way. God, and if you ask me to do a biggable thing, I'll do it. Some of you are taking care of parents. Some of you are taking care of several children. Some of you are taking on situations where you're helping your neighbors. Some of you are helping people in your life groups. And all I want to say is, way to go. That's hospitable. You're helping people feel at home, feel included, feeling loved by Christ. The second idea of this, as a church family, who would you have us care for, Lord? If you're following along as a church family, who would you have us care for, Lord? You know, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And this coming year, one of the reasons why Brian Schwarberg is making a switch to a new position from family uh, pastor to outreach pastor is because we want to get better at this. We want to get better at this and we want to have more opportunities for us, not just to give money, which is good, but also to give our time and uh, just powerful things like that. You know, can I just say this tomorrow? Tomorrow I'm going to pray to open the Senate and I've been trying to think about, you know, there's a side of me that's just so mad at our legislature. I don't even see them as people. And the Lord's saying, I want, I, want, I want you to pray in my heart. That doesn't mean I don't pray a challenging prayer, but I pray with love for people rather than judgment and, and superiority like I can do in self-righteous ways. And then after that, because of what you guys as a church family, what we've been able to do together, I have the privilege of delivering a check for over $100,000 to Roy Newman and the people of Fresh Visions Community Church. And because of what you gave that special offering in December, we're sending a check for over $100,000 to Jeff and Annie Dieselberg so that women who have been used and spit out can have the hope of beginning again. Thank you for trying to be hospitable in ways like that. I pray that we don't deliver that check with saying, look at how great Cherry Hills is. I pray it's look what Jesus wants to do in you. We are so thankful for your ministry. We see you. We praise God for you. We cheer you on. That's what I want to be. Amen. So this last thing is this. Here's the good news I want to proclaim over you today. You know, left to ourselves, we can't be hospitable like Jesus until we become correctable and directable. Here's the good news. I can, we can be hospitable as I'm correctable, as we're directable, and as we're correctable and directable. So that means that there's hope today. Yesterday, I was spending time with some people. Every Saturday, I pray with a group of people, and one guy says, I'm like a Pharisee. I want to correct Jesus. 
rather than let him correct me. I said, I know what you mean. He says, I said, that's the bad news. Let me proclaim the good news over you. Because of the Lord and what he wants to do in your life, you can become hospitable if you're willing to be correctable and directable. Isn't that amazing? So what would it look like if we spin out of here this week? You know, there's over a thousand people that'll be in these three services. What if a thousand times this week, hospitable like Jesus happens because we're just trying to be correctable and directable? I pray it happens for his glory and for his sake. 